following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center, Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. Okay. Okay. Everybody can hear me? Those who want to hear me can hear me? <laughs> um, again, my name is um, Kyoko Katayama, and I'm subbing for Mark. And who thought that half hour went really fast? Well, uh, because it wasn't half hour. <laughs> We started, we had, we had about 23 minutes of sitting, so <laughs> sorry if you felt cheated. And um, I think I have a kind of a surprise for you today. <laughs> so we come here to the meditation center because to a varying degree, we each want to find, to wake up to truth and to be happy, to feel peace. And to wake up to the Dharma means to wake up and see things just as they are. So simple. <laughs> see things they are without the mind's interpretation and self-projection, though. And when we see things in their natural and inherent unfolding, we see how unfathomable streams of causes and conditions bring us, bring everything to this present moment. So with our awareness, when we deeply penetrate everything as they are, then we see how everything's are interconnected. There's not a thing that exists in isolation. So, the speck of the dust you might have stepped on as you enter today doesn't exist if the universe doesn't exist. Everything is codependent. I don't exist if you don't exist. So we see there's not a thing in the conditioned world that has a permanent core substance that cannot be broken down to a smaller unit and to emptiness. Not in our sense of self, not in a stone, not in an atom. The only way this exists is due to that existing, and this is called dependent origination, and it is the central teaching of the Buddha. So this, to see things as they are, constitute the right way, or some teachers call it the wise way, and it is the first of the Eightfold Path, and the Buddha's answer to freedom from suffering by bringing our body, mind, and heart into natural relationship to all things. Everything that the Buddha taught depends on the understanding of this wise view. 
and everything else that the Buddha taught point back to this. To see things as they are without the mind's incessant distraction and self-habits. So simple. Yet it eludes and we are tested over and over. Let me ask you, when was the last time you saw things just as they are? What percentage of your day are you really seeing things as they are without your projection? How about right now? Are you seeing and experiencing everything just as they are? Or are you projecting stories onto what's going on? Are you evaluating if this talk is interesting, boring, heard it before? Are you thinking of some other book that you read that talked about it? Or has your mind wandered off to what you're going to do after Common Ground? Try for a moment right now to see everything as it is without relying on your mind's ability to tell you what you see, without language as the mediator of your direct experience. If your eyes are open, I know some of you have closed eyes, if your eyes are open and if you're seeing me, being aware of others around you, the sensations of the chair or the cushion beneath you, the light on the wall, the view of of the maple and the sky outside a window? How do you see all of them just as they are? How is your awareness holding all this? And what is your mind doing with them? So the surprise, surprise is I want to tell you what happened to me these last four weeks to illustrate the ways this wise view eluded me, and how, despite my desire and intention to awaken, I got so lost in the Dharma, in the, not Dharma, in the drama. <laughs> but that was the Dharma. <laughs> in the drama of my life. After my husband died, my daughter and granddaughter, now six-year-old Maya, I think they're here today, moved in with me. And we jokingly called our household the 3.5 generations of girls. And the point five belongs to, guess, our girl dog, Luna. <laughs> this spring, though, um, late spring actually, my daughter and I agreed that it was time for us to consider going our separate ways and to have a separate household. I will terribly miss my granddaughter's goodbye kiss as they left the kindergarten or check in about our life at the end of the day before my daughter and I said goodnight. But we felt we were getting ready, each of us in different way, to move on. So after a trying time and disappointments, we found a house that she loved, and I felt the same way. 
And I have been involving in each step of looking for house, etc., as applying for the loans as a co-signer. And as the closing on the house neared and my daughter making her separate household seem more real, many of my projects that I temporarily suspended, which actually temporarily became longer and longer because we didn't know how long we were living together. Anyway, all those projects that I kind of stopped doing, they started to call my name. And I began longing for quiet, uninterrupted mornings and evenings dedicated to study and writing or doing creative project. And I began making fantasy about what it would be like to have the house all to myself again. And actually, I didn't have a long period of having house all to myself because I was with my husband. So when I meditated, my mind wandered off to how I'd move my furniture around. <laughs> Another time, the color of the paint on the wall. Or yet, in another set, how I would this time really keep the house clean and organized, or downsize and move to a smaller place in Minneapolis. I live in St. Paul. Oh, come on, concentrate on the breath. The voice urged me. So I do that for a while, and I until I catch myself with yet another dream about the new space in my house. A few days before the closing, we heard that there was a problem with the loan application. And my daughter was devastated because she too was building these ideas about her new house. And me, with my optimism and wise perspective, reassured her, it's going to be all okay. And luckily, the problem was solved, and the closing was rescheduled for the following Friday. Since we close on Friday, so we plan that we'll move on Saturday and Sunday. And we began piling her kitchen and bathroom stuff in the living room, and we got boxes to pack. And soon the area began to look like a disaster area. It's okay, I can live with this, I said. It's only for a few days, I said to myself. On Wednesday, we found out there was a problem. We needed to turn in more paper, paperwork to the loan officer. And so the closing was rescheduled for the following Friday. The loan officer had every detail he could possibly collect from us about our finances, down to the pennies. And I thought, this got to be real now. We got help disassembling Maya's IKEA bunk bed. And without her bed, Maya took liking to sleeping with Grandma. That's me <laughs> and Luna. Well, I can live with that for a few days, I said to myself. <laughs> and meanwhile, my fantasy about having the house and the bed all to myself was really going. <laughs> so I dropped about I dreamt about maybe having a sitting group at my house or make a home office for my work. And I began promising my friends to come for tea or do project together after the move. A few days before the closing, it was cancelled due to a different problem. Well, this is all recent, 
I was counting on the move to be the last weekend. This is the last weekend because the following weekend, that's today, this one, I'll be giving a Dharma talk. <laughs> I needed the move to be behind us so I could concentrate on working on the Dharma talk. Now, I, I was working, I was thinking about giving a Dharma talk and self and non-self, non not, not self, non-self. And one of the three, that's the one of the three characteristics of conditioned existence. Not an easy, easy subject, and I needed all the concentration I could muster. Well, this time my daughter took it in stride, but I felt anger without knowing whom I could be angry at. I imagined, imagined pale aliens, the true identity of the mortgage under Underwriters, with the huge bug eyes and the mouth of a cockroach chewing and feasting on the papers at night. And they needed more and more papers from us to multiply and conquer the world. Apparently the problem was fixed and closing was again scheduled for the past Friday, two days ago. Anticipating that the Dharma talk would be in the middle of the move, I tried to focus on my talk, but it was really hard to not feel distracted. A part of me wished that I could just focus on the Dharma talk and not be distracted by the hustle and bustle of the move. And yet another part of me wished that I could just focus on the move and not have to worry about the Dharma talk. It was really hard to hold these seemingly two very different projects at the same time. Have you been there? <laughs> so I caught myself thinking, well, I can have a life when the move is over and when the talk is done. <laughs> when I, have you ever had these thoughts? When I have a better partner, I can have my life. When I get rid of this problem, I can really start living. <laughs> I fell into that. So quite despite myself, I began thinking as if I could put my life on hold. And so I glanced at the pile of stuff and boxes in my living room, now going on for three weeks, and I saw them as problem that will be soon fixed. I stopped seeing them as inherent parts of my present life. There were problems and projects calling for my attention to fix or to accomplish all around me. I stopped seeing how the sunlight hit my daughter's blue glasses and gleamed like sapphire in the middle of the living room. <coughs> I saw my garden as something needing my attention, but I had no time for it. My life was on hold. The thinking mind repeated, just one more week, and then I can have my life. In the meantime, I hope you all noticed, this past week between the rains, the weather turned absolutely magnificent. The sky was clear blue and the air sparkled. The breeze was the, was the perfect temperature of 72 degrees. 
The orange tiger lilies blossomed like fireworks amidst the, the burst of the origami-shaped purple balloon flowers in my garden. The tall milkweed made their dusty pink bonbons of flowers. I made no time to smell their thick, sweet scents. In four more days, I said to myself, and I turned away from the breeze that made the cotton tree shimmer, cottonwood shimmer, away from discovering if the milkweed gave shelter and food to monarch caterpillars, away from the open sky and whiff of soft clouds, and into the basement room where I worked on the Dharma talk, or added more pile of things to be moved. Two more days and all will be behind, I said to myself. And I had persevered in a dark room and I was 80% done with my Dharma talk, which you're not hearing. <laughs> <laughs> a moving truck and friends and family offered to help with the move for the weekend. On Thursday afternoon, I discovered an email message that said the underwriters saw problems and they closed the file. No loan and no house. But, the loan officer continued, the underwriters were mistaken. So he fought to prove that they were mistaken, and they reopened the case. <laughs> Nevertheless, closing has to be extended. <laughs> He'll keep us posted. <laughs> I could feel my mind imploding on itself. Every week we were promised our right to make our dream come true. And at the end of the week, it gets taken away. Or so I thought. The dream world that the mind created collapsed like a house of cards. I felt helpless and trapped in an untenable situation. And then I thought about millions of undocumented workers who wake in the morning with the hope of making American dream and fall asleep being afraid to hear bangs on the door for arrest and deportation. And I thought about my friends with cancer, never certain that the chemo is working or poisoning their body, feeling good in the body, and in the afternoon, mysterious dark blotches appear on their skin. Although intellectually, I knew that what had happened was not such a big deal, and that life will go on, I was triggered. And I felt the blow in my body, but I could not access that direct experience in the body. When I tried to quiet down and focus, my thinking was in a tiny loop, little tiny loop that worked like a cork in a bottle. Of course it was a perfect occasion to practice, but my mind was in jumbles, and I could not focus very well. I sent email to family and friends that the move was canceled, and I was and I wrote them that I was feeling numb and helpless. Practice, Kyoko, practice. The boy voice plotted again. 
how do we awake how do we wake up when the mind is numb and heart seems so shut down how do we do that There are three poisons that are that are obstacle to mindfulness that teaching goes. Greed, that's the wanting mind. Hatred, that's the pushing away mind. And the third poison, delusion, is a numbed mind. Mind disconnected from the heart. Mind filled with bewilderment and confusion. I seemed to be I was in a mega delusion. How do I break out of it? Without quite knowing what to do, I was determined to not move from my cushion until, until what? I didn't know. So I sat, aware of the poor non-functioning mind and body seemingly traumatized. And in time I had an image of holding them like a baby. It's okay. There, there. You don't have to do anything. We'll just hold you. In the safety of holding them, with awareness, with, without any expectation, the cork loosened and let out a cry. Well, the mind just hated not having control over outcome. And it had no choice but to surrender to the truth that we really don't have control over outcome of anything. There was a flash of insight, the familiar wisdom but in fresh language relevant to the moment. I can't change the situation, but I'm not helpless. <coughs> I think we all know that, that life is not about controlling it and ensuring outcome. Life is not a thing or a project out there to manipulate. Yet how easy it was to slip into that delusion of control and predictability. Shantideva, the 18th century Buddhist scholar from India, said, You think you're here to change the world. No, the world is here to change you. <laughs> so I allowed my body to grieve. I didn't know what it was grieving for, and it didn't matter. I knew then that I could trace my tears back to my heart. The mind let go, and more and more flashes of insights. I saw how everything was unfolding of causes and conditions. And that was all there was. The mortgage underwriters, the loan officer, the real estate agent, even the millions of undocumented workers, hundreds of politicians making housing laws, immigration laws, healthcare laws, all other kinds of laws, people who are struggling with cancer or mental illness. Somewhere, babies are being born. Somewhere, someone is taking their last breath. Every single being on earth are each living out 
the unfolding of causes and conditions in the interconnected web. And from this understanding, there's no bad guy or good guy. There's no aliens, really. <laughs> it's all us. And they just are. Or maybe even aliens that we don't know about. And they just are, too. <laughs> the unfolding of the causes and conditions through our life, therefore, is not personal. It's not about me. We did not choose the past causes and conditions. Our work is not to control them, but to let them be, let them in. Our responsibility then, the only major responsibility, is to wake up to them. See them for what they are. See how the fortunes and misfortunes arising and disappearing is not about us. It's not personal. See how the world is there to change us. See how life lives through us. And we are a vehicle. Our accountability in this web of interconnection is to care about one another. For we are not separate. And everything matters. And above all, waking up matters. And loving matters. Wisdom and love the two wings of the bird of freedom. Fly, bird, fly. <coughs> Rodney Smith, the author of Sipping Out of Self-Deception, and um, I, it's a book I just finished this last week in the middle of all, and I felt greatly inspired by, and I highly recommend it. He said, Life has a way of bringing out the closed area of reactivity where we continue to identify with our storyline. How true. Life has a way of bringing out the closed area of reactivity where we continue to identify with our storyline. But, after awakening, our intention is no longer to alter or eliminate these reactions, but simply to allow awareness to meet and infuse these states with wisdom. After surrendering, we find ourselves exactly where we are. Everything collapses into itself, and the moment so long sought is nothing special. So nothing out there changed, but transformation is possible. My daughter too found ways, in her own word, to deal with this. She said, well make lemonade when life gives you lemon. That's her language. And she surprised me with her joy and lightness as she organized her boxes. She said, well, whether I'm moving or not, this is a good thing to do. <laughs> yes. 
I have known the way to deal with stress is not to change the circumstances that can't be changed, but change the way we relate to it. My daughter and I still live with our uncertainties about our housing, but we found ways to relax into it. Who knows what next week will bring, and you'll, you'll find out. <laughs> so I became open to whatever life delivers me, not how I want it to be or as the problems to be solved. Life is not a project. I saw how I compartmentalized thinking about the Dharma and the Dharma talk and the moving as separate when all along they were all part of this messy, beautiful life of mine. So on Friday, I abandoned writing the Dharma talk in the basement. The irony was, all this time I was trying so hard to write about self and non-self, <laughs> somewhat abstractly, and the spirit of the talk escaped me. What I was writing lacked immediacy of my own learning about self and no-self, non-self. So... I settled on the easy chair on the front porch with a cool glass of water, sat there for hours, watched the sun move between the branches. Time stops. I know I'm sitting in the middle of a small piece of heaven on earth. Right here, right now, everything is perfect, just as they are. Nothing to add nothing to take away. The self, the self flowed with the breeze. The self was a whiff of cloud in the sky, a collection of water molecules that itself is made up of atom, that is mostly just space. The trees, the sky, the flowers in my garden were alive infused with mysterious energy, and the heart felt the belonging. Everything was intimately connected without being personal. Inside the house, the furniture, the boxes, the dishes, the pots and pans sang their quiet song of praise. We are here just as we are, they sang. And at the end of the day, I slipped between a sleeping dog and a child, feeling my own innocence and animal body. There is one thing I do want to share from the abandoned talk on self and non-self. <laughs> and it is the analogy of uh, a map and the terrain. Self with identities, stories, dreams, delusions is like a map. It is constructed about the terrain, perhaps, but it's not the real thing. In the end, the map is just a two-dimensional paper or screen. The real thing is the terrain that is non-cognitive, embodied presence in now and now with capital N. 
That is the only way we can see things as they are. It is the very spot you're sitting right now, right here, in your body. Your body is the compass. And your heart shows you the North Star that guides you. And in this terrain, there is a paradox. There's a paradox in now itself. In now, there's no place to go. There's no place to go but here and now. But, take, but part of taking on this human form is that the body is impermanent. And so, there is a human journey that negotiates the paradox of timeless, deathless, the unconditioned, now, and the limitations of our conditioned, final human existence. So here's Rodney Smith again. Many of us constantly struggle with our limitations. We perceive liberation as transcending limitation, transcending our anger, fear, and resentment, transcend the small me of life, but liberation and limitation, the small me and the infinite, are one and the same. When we perceive ourselves to be limited, then we need a teaching to compensate and balance the perception. The Buddha's teaching arises from the perception of limitation and ends within the paradox of totality. The entire teaching is a skillful means to surrender to paradox. Ultimately, truth is not a set of, of set way of perceiving reality, but truth is a release of all points of view. So what happened to me during the last four weeks was that I became confused between the map and the terrain. I was seduced by the promises the mind made and I began to invest in, in them by believing. I slipped into believing somehow that life can be predictable and orderly and delivers promises and outcome to me just because I want to. <laughs> life, with capital L, is not interested in pleasing me. It exists to change me. Allowing myself to feel the grief in my body was a turning point. You know, the grief is always there in us, just as surely there's suffering in this impermanent human life. Grief is a human response to being alive, as much as joy is. When I felt the sadness in my body, I enter the terrain, leaving behind a map. Awareness held my numbness and trauma body as mother held the child. The terrain of now has no boundaries. It reveals interdependence and interpenetration of all things. So my final message to you this morning, then, 
is that there is no better time to practice waking up than now. Don't wait to sit on the cushion. Don't wait until all the conditions are right. And as a Dharma poet Jane Hirschfield says, when the intention of practice is awake, no activity, no activity is outside of our practice. Since I have talked so much about housing today, so I want to end this talk with Rumi's wise view on the house. And this is called Guest House by Rumi. This being human is a guest house. Every morning, a new arrival, a joy, a depression, a meanness, some momentary awareness comes as an unexpected visitor. Welcome and entertain them all, even if they are a crowd of sorrows who violently sweep, sweep your house empty of its furniture. Still, treat each guest honorably. He may be clearing you out for some new delight. He may be clearing you out for some new delight. The dark thought, the shame, the malice, meet them at the door laughing and invite them in. Be grateful for whoever comes because each has been sent as a guide from beyond. So, I think I have one minute for comments and questions. <laughs> um, what time, how much time do we have? Yeah, as much time as you want. <laughs> oh, wow! <laughs> comments, questions? Yes. You mentioned that your husband died recently, um, and you also talked about grief. And I similarly lost my husband recently. How would your Dharma talk have been different after your husband died in terms of finding peace and accepting health and dealing with the suffering? Um, I began giving Dharma talk around the time of my husband's passing. So the, the first in, in recent years. So I, my Dharma talk has completely been informed by the experience of being with his dying um, and grief and question about, you know, the first question was, I was surprised to find I was asking, who am I without him? I took, I took it for granted. And so, the grief included not just losing him, but losing the sense of who I thought I was. So the grief was just all pervasive. And, and it's with courage really being with it. There's no rule about how you go about your grief. Everyone's way is completely different, and you just need to honor. This is, this is what life is giving you, and not judge. And there is also 
I can tell you surprising gifts. So hang in there. Yes. I find your wisdom very accessible. Thank you. Um, my, my thing is, I think it connects to what you were bringing up about making the moment to be present, is that um, I go through these waves. When, when I'm on a roll with my practice, practicing daily, it tends to sustain itself, which is really nice. But conversely, when I start missing, it seems like I lose that momentum, and with that momentum goes my discipline, right? And I'm, it's going to be an ongoing thing. I'm pretty convinced that. But I'm also realizing that my practice can work out to be, instead of like 30 or 40 minutes at one sit, a connection of five-minute meditations throughout the yep. day. And can you all hear? Good. Mm-hmm. And so I, I just, just your thoughts about that, and it's funny because... There is kind of a thing that goes on inside me that doesn't see the five-minute ones as legitimate as the 30 or 40 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, hearing what you talk about, it, it puts the flashlight on that because those are, in fact, the moments that I need to grab to be present. You know, I mean, if, if I wait for my 30 minutes, it's, it's the discipline is at me deep. <laughs> you know, the, the ideal world would be both, but it doesn't seem to work. So I, I am trying to put my mind on that 30 minute, or the five minute, the five minute um, cat, <laughs> cat just, uh, meditation. <laughs> so, anyway, any thoughts on that? Well, uh, great. <laughs> <laughs> meditation is not life. Life is life. So meditation is 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 a mean to to more fully dive into life, and if meditation keep you from that, forget it. <laughs> yes, it's all of this. You know, we go through wave, the bottom of the wave, the top of the wave. It's 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 all life, and and it's best to not judge. And everything count. And this, like Jane Hirschfield said, there's no subject that's outside of the question for practice. So you discovered, oh, five minutes count. Five minutes, you, you want to use that time to awaken. Of course, that's great. Mostly I want to say thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, but... I can't help sharing a little bit of my personal story as it relates to your story, as it relates to me in these last two Sundays. Because it's one of the things you didn't mention this narrative is that you also had a Dharma talk last week that you had to prepare for that was absolutely wonderful. I did? L- last week? Weren't you here last week? No. <laughs> Because we are both serving, and we're, I was saying, Mary, how are you, how are you doing in the downtown? And she said, Oh, it's a mess. And she told me, she talked about disappointment. So now I'm going yes. to sit and be with my embarrassment. <laughs> 
Disappointment. seeing things as they are, which is part of the quality of equanimity. It's, it's, it's also compassion. Because, because we are human, we are vulnerable, our energy is limited. You know, of course we get tired. Of course. So, so be kind and be with that. And I think we're really out of time. Is that right? Oh, no children. No singing. No singing. <laughs> so. Uh, yes, we're not oh, no I have a question. I don't know if you can answer it or if someone from the community can answer it, but obviously you were recorded today. Mm-hmm. Was the talk that you did after your husband died also available? Yes. Because um, I know that the Dharma talks are online. Yeah. So I wanted to make sure that that one was because that would be something. 
very helpful for you because I really appreciate your talks as well. Um, yeah. Um, you can ask, you can email me and ask for the dates I gave Dharma talk, and then you can go to the uh, audio Dharma on Common Ground site, or you can just keep on scrolling down. It goes back two years, and find my name or find whoever that you're interested to listen to. It's quite an archive we have. But the very first, the talk I gave as he was dying called um, The Path is Made by Walking um, is no longer there. But I, I think we have a CD of it. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.